good morning, Calvary. How are you? This sort of room gets more and more crowded every week, so I would like to remind you there's an 8.15 and an 11.15 service that there's more space if you're looking for that. As we continue to talk, um, we're starting a new series called Gardens. I'm reminded of the time um, when I was a little boy. I had a grandmother who was given six months to live. I don't remember exactly how old it was, but she, she would live for 18 more years, okay? Um, but I remember as her body deteriorated, this is a, a woman who went from like five foot eight down to four foot ten because of the steroids and the cancer treatments just ate away her body. She was frail. When you bumped into her, she would bleed. All of those kind of um, things. But this woman had a rose uh, garden. And she loved to work the rose garden as long as she possibly could, even through the frailty of those years. She would go out and work that garden trying to produce these beautiful roses. So when we were there, she, she didn't always have the time to do the things she liked to do, but that's one thing she didn't neglect. Now, I remember as a little boy thinking, I don't know that I would like to do that. Like, I, I don't know that I would like to garden. And as an adult, I still don't like to do that kind of stuff. But I think as I really examined this, we're all gardeners. Why? We were all meant to be gardeners. And that story goes back to the story of Adam and Eve when they were in the garden. And throughout the, the Bible, from the Old Testament all the way through Revelation, you see the story of how we are called to garden the soil of our life. Because the saying we like to say around here is, God grows the crops, but the farmer works the land. So we're going to unpack the creation story today, and we're going to dive into the gardening of our soul. This is the training portion of our year, where we're really trying to dive into what it looks like to apply and to train and to discipline so that we can allow the fruit of God to grow up in our life. Genesis 1.1 says this, the very first verse in the Bible. If anyone ever asks you, how does the Bible begin? You say, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we believe that God created the universe. God created the universe by simply commanding it into existence over the six days as detailed in Genesis 1. That is a remarkable story. But we don't believe that we came out of nothing. That, that nothing doesn't produce something. Nothing produces nothing. And so there is a creator who created us, who made us. And so as we unpack, unpack this, let's look at then God said, and in six days he took the chaos and ordered it. So very quickly, I just want us to kind of cover these slides and, and, and cover the way this unfolds. Day one began with God creating light out of darkness. This is very important because before God said, let there be light, there was only darkness. And aren't you glad there's light? Because it's hard to grow anything in total darkness, right? It doesn't take a farmer to recognize that. It doesn't take a person who, who tinkers with gardens to recognize when God said, let there be light, then order started to exist. Day two, water and sky separated. In Genesis 1-6 we see there became water on the earth and there became atmospheric pressure, atmospheric um, water in the land. Day three, land emerges up out of the water. And so we begin to see this unfold. There's a separation of the water from the land and then there's the sky. Now, that alone is pretty cool. But if you notice in the Hebrew, there's this, this um, match. There's this symmetry in what he's doing. And there's a symmetry unpacked. Because what you find is day four built on day one. Day five built on day two. And day six built on day three. 
And so as you begin to understand this, if day one was God created light, then you see that day four was light is placed in the sky or the suns and the stars. And think about how important that is. You realize how big our universe is, right? And you realize that there are tons of stars in the solar systems. There's tons. When you look out into the, the incredible vastness of all of creation, and yet we are the only living humans, the only human beings that are known to exist. And I would go on as far as to say, I don't personally believe in aliens and other planets, but if they do exist, God created them. So that's a moot argument, okay? If, if I find out that there is a life on another solar system that God created, I'm going to go, praise God. I don't really care. But I don't think that exists. But in the vastness of this solar system, we are the only, and God did that to show the grandeur of his creation and the grandeur of how we were made to be. This is not an accident. You and I were made with a purpose. So day five then comes after light is then, the, then the water and the sky fills, are filled with fish and birds, okay? So as you begin to under, unpack that, you, you start seeing there's things in the sea and there's things in the air. And then day six, the birds needed a place to land and their vegetation needed to grow and animals on the earth were formed. And at the conclusion of that, you see the story of humanity unfold in Genesis 1, 26 and 27. The verses I've read probably more than any other verses throughout the Bible in my time here because there's a reason. Genesis 1, 26 says the following. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And they will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. Verse 27 is the idea of what fancy church words, imagio dei, which means that you and I were made in the image of God, which means that you and I were made to have a relationship with God. When we were given breath in our lungs, that is to exist, to glorify God and to have a relationship with Him. And when Adam and Eve were in the garden, there was a perfect relationship. But that's not the whole of what we were created to do. In fact, in verse 26, it says, Let us make man in our image, according to Elias, for they will rule over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock of the whole earth. You see, humanity was made to rule, govern, watch over the land, reflecting the nature of God. I got news for you. That became a lot more difficult once sin entered the world. Because when Adam and Eve were first created, life was pretty good. And they were placed, as we found in Genesis chapter 2, in the Garden of Eden. So in Genesis 2-1, God finishes creation and says, this is good. And then after humanity is made, after creation is formed, after there is male and female, in 2, 8 through 9, it says, Then the Lord planted a garden Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had formed. And the Lord caused to grow out of the ground every tree pleasing in appearance and good for food, including the tree of life in the middle of the garden, as well as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. These are verses that we often skip over. But I want you to understand something very important as we're starting our garden series. The idea of garden as it was viewed in the Old Testament is not what we think of as a garden. It's not the rose garden that my, my grandmother planted, okay? It's not the guy who grows 10 stalks of corn in his backyard and calls himself a farmer, okay? And it's especially not the people who are like me who go out and pick off the top of a bunch of weeds, 
leave the roots, and cover it with a bunch of mulch, hoping that it fools the neighbors. And we call that gardening. Translation, making my yard look acceptable, right? But gardening actually involves, in the Middle Eastern culture, a bunch of trees. In fact, when you think of gardens throughout the Bible, throughout the Middle East, you, you should think of a bunch of trees surrounded by a hedge of protection, a hedge of bushes, okay? And in the middle of it is an oasis of peace. So when the Bible is describing the Garden of Eden, it is full of trees. Well, what are the trees? It just listed them, but here they are on a slide in case you wanted the cliff notes of it. There was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We talk about this a lot. And the tree of the knowledge of evil, good and evil, exists because before Adam and Eve ate off that tree, they only knew good. So the tree of good and evil, when they ate of it, is what separated them from knowing good, and now they know evil. We're going to come back to that in a minute. The second, there were many other trees that were pleasing to the Lord. It says that right there in 2, 8, 9. And then third, at the center of it, there was the tree of life in the very middle of the garden, often ignored. And I was recently reading something by Tim Mackey, and he unpacked it, reminded me of some seminary verses, so I'm giving credit where credit's due. There's a lot of other people. This is how I got to this conclusion and how I restudied it, et cetera, et cetera, okay? And as we were thinking about this, I want us to see how these trees can be explained. First, I want you to think of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil as a poison tree. That when Adam and Eve ate of that, it was good fruit and tasted for a minute, but immediately poisoned not only their lives, but the lives of everyone. In fact, when Eve ate of it, she went, oh, this is good. Here, Adam, she took that poison and poisoned her whole husband and then poisoned her kids. And so that when you choose to go your way, when you choose to sin, you are poisoning your life. This is the portion of our program where I'm going to pause and say the following. If you grew up in a church that was very turn or burn, translation, you grew up in a church that said, all the thou shalt nots. And every week, the pastor got up and said, don't be this person. There's truth to that. But the fact is, the gospel story starts with dignity. And the reason that God asks us not to sin isn't because God wants to rob us from fun. He isn't trying to rob you of getting to do what you want to do. He's asking us to do His way because our way literally destroys our life. It is poison. Sin is poison. So how do we get there? This is the portion of our program where I'm going to tell you my theological opinion, which means there's room for disagreement here. But as you unpack this, there were other trees in the garden, this is fact, that were permissible trees. So if you think about this like the will of God, there are certain times in our life where God says, don't do. We can find them in the Ten Commandments. You can fast forward to the New Testament. Can we all agree that one of those would be, thou shalt not murder? We don't have to say it, thou shalt, don't kill someone, right? We can all agree that that's a bad thing. You should go to prison. So we all admit that's a sin, right? But there's lots of other sins that are also poisonous in our life. But there's a lot of other activities that we do that are permissible, but not necessarily centered on the will of God. Let me explain it like this. I don't know how many of you this morning woke up and were scared to death about which flannel shirt you should pick out to wear to church. God, please help me not to pick the wrong flannel shirt. Because if I pick the wrong flannel shirt, I will be out of your will. Now, that's a silly example, right? 
Because the important thing is you put on a shirt. I don't think that God orchestrates our life in such a direct, scripted manner. Yes, He is sovereign, but He gives us free will. How those things balance out are up for God to know and us to slowly figure out throughout the course of life and into eternity, okay? But as we do this, there is permissible will, and then there is, well, don't do. So here's my theological opinion. At the center of the garden was a perfect tree. We're going to come back to that. But there were a lot of other permissible trees that, that Adam and Eve started doing, and that caused them to wander away from the center of God's will, and suddenly they found themselves where they shouldn't be. Have you ever been there? It's the old adage, did your parent ever tell you, don't be out after midnight because nothing good happens after midnight, right? No, after midnight, it's okay, raise your hand, we'll interact, it's good. After midnight, it does not mean like 1201, I'm sitting, ah! right? That's not the way that unfolds. But there is the idea of you wandered into the area of temptation. Hello, computer. Hello, for me, donut shops. Testify. Or the subtle nuances of life to where we start going, it's okay. And, and a good example of this is how sin creeps into our life. Like maybe you're the person who has casually walked into the soil of life of, I'm a casual liar. And you, I would ask you to admit it, but you wouldn't, right? So how do we do that? I don't know. Honey, does this dress look good? Yes. Is that the truth? And so we, we justify our sins and we come to the place where we start doing things that are corrupt because we succumb to the temptation of doing what we want to do. We're going to come back to that in a minute. But the, at the heart of it all is this tree centered in the center of the garden, which I believe represents the center of God's will of being connected to him from the rest of our lives. Now, to be very clear, Jesus never refers himself to the tree of life. But I do think there is a connection there. I think that there is a life. And if we don't and we go our own way, what ends up happening is we eat of the poison, and the poison leads to death. Death? Yes, that's why Ephesians 2.1 says, Sin has yielded to death. And you were dead in your trespasses. Trespasses is a fancy word for sin. Wandering onto property that does not belong to you. Sin. So, Eating from the tree of life represents remaining connected to God. So when Adam and Eve were ordered out of the garden, they lost the direct connection, the perfect fellowship with God himself. We lost the garden that was easy gardening, and the consequence was, Adam, you must work the land. That's not just physical labor. That's the working of your soul. That's the working of your heart. It's the working of every aspect of your life. Staying connected to God requires work. So, as we begin to do this, the reason you have struggles and doubts and even sometimes a difficult time in seeing God rightly is a direct result of sin entering the world. And you can't just show up in church and go, okay, I'm ready to see you, God! Woohoo! That doesn't work that way. In fact, sometimes it can take years, if not decades, of hard work to really learn how to stay connected with God. Here's the problem. That's not why we show up. 
We show up at church because we've tasted the bad fruit. Our marriage is on the rocks. Our work is not going like we wanted. Maybe we have a sickness in our life. Maybe we recognize that we have an addiction that is causing us damage. Maybe we're lonely and there's people there. Hey, people, talk to me. And so we go through all these ideas hoping for good fruit. But good fruit from you isn't produced without first getting to the soil of your heart. So if we're cast out of the garden and we lost the connection to God's perfect will, we lost the connection to him being the center of our life, how do we stay connected with the tree of life if the tree of life is found at the center of the garden and we were kicked out of it? Here's another strong theological opinion. There's room for disagreement here. Even though Jesus never calls himself the tree of life, I want you to see Jesus hung on a tree connecting us back to the garden, thus renewing our garden existence. You like that? He gave himself up on a tree, connecting us back to him. Another reason that you might say Jesus is like the tree of life. John 15, 5, he even says the following, even though he doesn't use the direct words. I am the vine and you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit. Because you can do nothing without me. And if anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch he withers. So you can hear the dignity, you can hear that we are made Unlike the rest of the animals, to be connected with God, we are the branches of his kingdom, of his life. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you may produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Now here's how we read that. Ask of me and you will get whatever you want. No, that's not being connected to God's will. That's asking what you want. Instead, what we are to do is to say, okay, God, what do you want me to be because I'm connected to you? Because I'm connected to you, I will produce fruit. And so we have to unpack what does that fruit look like? And if you think about it, what does the fruit of the Bible look like? It's not getting exactly what you want. It's not getting the marriage that you want. It's not getting the job that you want. It's not getting the vacation that you want. It is the fruit, the result of a life lived with God. So what is the fruit? Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, then let us keep in step with the Spirit. In other words, our works isn't what saves us, but the work is what produces the fruit. The fruit, that passage that I read earlier, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you grow up in me, then you will produce much fruit. A lot of times has been misinterpreted as evangelism. Hear me, we are to share the good news of Jesus, but we are to share the good news of Jesus out of the abundance of fruit in our life. The abundance of the fruit in our life is God is awesome. I have peace in the middle of chaos. God is awesome. I have love, even though everyone else is hateful. God is awesome. I have joy and long-suffering, even in the middle of the great trials. I want you to know how good Jesus is. I have been cast out of the garden like you all. We have all been separated, but he made a way for us to connect back with him. And so I'm growing in this relationship. I'm nurturing this relationship. I'm allowing this relationship to grow. But instead, what we want to do is we want to go out and pluck the top of the weeds. 
and cover it with mulch and call it a garden. If you want to have the fruit of the Spirit of the Lord, you have to do the hard work of tilling up the soil of your heart. In order to work the land of God intended in unity with Him, we must turn away from the poison and consume the fruit He gave us as good. Church, can I just ask you to understand one thing? That sin that you justify in your life is destroying you. That the sin you justify, well, everybody does it, is poison. And unless we take our sin seriously for what it is, we're not only robbing ourselves, but we will feed that fruit to our families, to our loved ones, and our friends. Now, we won't ever arrive in holiness, so there is this thing called grace. Don't forgive me, grace, right? But if you want to really come to Christ, in other words, the first step in establishing a garden is tilling the hard soil of our hearts, and it requires confession and repentance. Because confession and repentance, repentance is turning away from the way I want to go and turning to God. And confession is saying, you are all I need. And so I give you my faults. I give you my problems. And I come to the holiness and the sanctity and the goodness of who you are. So God, transform my life to make me look more like you. And allow the fruit to blossom up out of my life. And out of the overflow for that, I will help the kingdom. Because when I am nurtured and when I am growing in admonition with God, when I am saying I'm not going to go my way, when I am blossoming as the person that God made Daniel Barry to be and you made you to be, then what ends up happening is we grow up in the kingdom of God and we walk with him and then people go, oh, that fruit looks good. How do I get it? Now here's the hard part. I'm going to blow my nose. Please ignore me for one second. That was awkward. <laughs> Here's the hard part. We don't want to do the work. We want to pick the tops of the weeds and cover it with mulch. And so we may even try this. We may go like this. Okay, God, I'm sorry that I am a compulsive liar. I'm going to start telling the truth. Can I tell you that's, that's only half confession? Because as one of the farmers pointed out at the end of the last service, Daniel, you need to tell people that tilling begins first by removing the boulders and the rocks that are in our life. Because that foundation has to change. And so if you're a compulsive liar, once again, I'm just picking one random sin. There's a lot of sins we can pick on. You have to ask yourself, why do you lie? Why do you feel like you have to tell everybody what they want to hear, even if it's not true? What's the insecurity there? Could it be that you don't feel good enough in front of God, in front of other people? It's hard work. Why do you run to the affair? Is it because you don't feel good enough? Not because your spouse is, but because you are crying out for something else? Why do we run to the addiction? Is it because there's something? Pick a sin. Why do I want five donuts? When one would suffice. Because it makes me so happy. Why? Because I'm looking for a false sweet high? 
So the way this begins isn't just recognizing what the sin is. It's recognizing what is the deep-rooted issue causing you to run to it and replacing it with good soil. And yeah, sometimes it takes ministries like Celebrate Recovery. Sometimes it takes a really good counselor for years. Sometimes it's not even because of the sin of your past, but the sin of someone else who's sinned grievously against you that you need to work through that to find out what's caused. You're allowing their sin. You, they fed you poison, and you've eaten it and swallowed it, and now you're passing it on. Find out what's at the root of the problem. Turn over the soil and give it to God. <laughs> Sounds so easy. Can I, can I promise you one thing that I don't want to promise you? You can't do it in the next 10 minutes. It takes work. So why don't we do it? We come up with excuses. Unless you're like my grandmother who says, cancer's not an excuse, I'm going to grow something beautiful. My grandkids, they're great. Not an excuse, I'm going to grow something beautiful. This is a priority in my life, and I'm going to give it the time and the attention it needs to grow something beautiful within me. Okay, men, handsome. But I'm going to work the soil of my life, allowing the Holy Spirit to come in, because I'm going to surrender to God, and I'm going to turn over that soil. So I'm asking us today, before we get to watering the soil, which starts next week, before we get any farther down the road, what do you need to till over? What do you need to repent from? And will you do the hard work of talking with an accountability partner, of addressing it with your small group, of coming and praying with someone at the end of the service, of reading your Bible, of sitting alone with God for 30 minutes, going on a silence and solitude retreat, of doing whatever it takes to say, no longer will I grow the bad fruit. No longer will I be tempted by this bad fruit. I want to have the fruit of the Spirit come alive with me, so I'm going to begin by working the soil of my life. Harvest may not come for a long time. you got to stay with it. But I do not know of a spiritual awakening, personal or corporate. Translation. I have never heard of a mighty movement of God that doesn't begin with confession and repentance. We can't cut the corner and go on to the stuff that's fun. We have to begin at the foundation. So here's the good news. We're all hypocrites. So why do we come to church and act like, oh, I'm supposed to be holy. Jesus is holy, so I'm going to put on this face and act like everything's good. And so we put our money in the offering plate. We, we show up and we, we serve and, and we, we act holier than thou and we act like we have a perfect marriage even though it's on its last leg. We, we come to the place where we're all broken. I like what Eugene Peterson says. How do we deal with this? God did not deal with our sin by ridding our lives as if it were a germ or mice in the attic. God does not deal with our sin by amputation if it was a gangrious leg, leaving us crippled, holiness on a crutch. God deals with our sin by forgiving us. And when he forgives us, there is much more of us, not less. So when the Bible says in 1 John, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, he's not going, no, you've got to cut that sin out. 
Instead, what he's doing is he's saying, I'm going to heal you. So the problem is sin wounds us deeply. And we want to go back to having a childlike body sometimes, right? Nope. Because there are earthly scars you will carry. Why don't we cherish our scars? Translation, if you've been the person who's gone through a divorce, why do we have to hide that? Instead, you might allow God's healing to happen, and there may be a huge scar on you, but then you might be able to help someone else who's gone, going through a divorce or been through a divorce heal. If you've had an abortion, you might be the person who helps someone else go through the abortion. If you have an addiction, you might help someone who's going through addiction. If you've been a compulsive liar, you might be able to recognize that the other person's a compulsive liar and call them out on it. Amen. But our scars, or as Brendan Manning puts it like this, on our last day, Jesus will look us over not for medals, diplomas, or honors, but for scars. Scars mean that we have healed. So stop picking the scab and let the scar grow. I don't want a scar. Pick the scab. I don't want a scar. Pick the scab. So instead of a daily training this week, I'm going to do something a little different. First of all, I want you to trust that God is good. If you want to know Jesus, come talk to one of us at the end of the service. There's always room for someone else. But for those of us who say we're growing in our faith, the training begins with confession and repentance. So what's God asking you to confess? Instead of having a daily training, we're going to have a right now training. Uh-oh, get nervous. And I'm going to give you about three minutes. You will not finish this in three minutes. But three minutes to ask God, what is it that I need to deal with and begin to explore why do I deal with this? You can't just stop lying. You've got to figure out why you want to lie. Because <laughs> the temptation to continue lying will be there unless you figure out why. This will take time. This will be a process. Come back to me in October and you're going to see the harvest, right? For some of us, the harvest may be two weeks. For some of us, the harvest may be 30 years. Some of us, the harvest will be in the next lifetime, but I promise it's coming. So here I am. Available, God, to what you want me to do. So if, if you can, don't worry about your spouse. If you were thinking, oh, my spouse needs to hear this, that's where you need to start. Your marriage is not falling apart because your spouse needs to hear this. You do you. You nurture the soil of your, your soul. And come before him today. At the conclusion of the service, we have a prayer team who would love to pray with you. And you might just want to come up and say, I need to work on some stuff. I'm not even going to have to, de you don't have to detail it. We don't need to know all the details, Okay. If you want to do that, come find a staff later. We'll, we'll help you with that. But just, would you pray for me? I want to be available. And that takes guts to do that. But would you allow God to begin to work? So God, take this time. Move in this space. As we sit in the next few minutes. God, whether we want to or not, help us to wrestle with why we don't want to or what you need us to work on. 
make us available to draw closer to you so that we might begin the process of growing the good soil of you in us, that we might see how good and faithful and just and kind you are. And God, that you would grow the garden within for your glory and your renown. 